1: What exactly is metadata? What is that information that fuels this society? On today's show, we have Jeffrey Pomerantz, who talks about metadata, his new book from MIT's Essential Knowledge Series. This is New Books in Technology. I'm your host, Jasmine McNeely. We are here with uh, Jeffrey Pomerantz, and he is the author of the new book, Metadata, available from MIT Press. So one of the first things we always like to do on new books and technology is to start off with, you know, getting a a overview, if you will, of the author of the new book. So tell us, who is Jeffrey Pomerantz?
0: (laughs) Hi, that would be me. Um, I am... um, I come out of information science mm-hmm. i uh have my masters of uh, Library and Information science from Simmons college back in you know the dark ages (laughs) and um so trained as a librarian and then went the the professor route so taught in um the school the graduate school of library and information science at the university of north carolina at chapel hill for many years Mm -hmm. um so you know my interest has always been on um on the the side of the tools that are used in information services, right? I mean, libraries are, are fascinating, but they're just one, I, I would argue um, just one type of information service and online you get a whole different kind of category of problems in managing information and serving up information. And that was always my, my interest is, um, you know the information service side of things, and that mm-hmm. ties very directly into into metadata. Uh, more recently, I am a uh, research analyst with an organization called Educause, which does um, a lot of IT related research in higher ed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, sh- having shifted focus a bit, but um, re- remained, you know more or less in in the higher ed. So that's always been my uh, my area of interest. Um, I mean, I came to metadata though uh, because um, because of the library and information science background. Um, like well, I said, well, my interest is. Yeah, I mean yeah, like please. even before go we
1: go even further further with that, and then, that's great. Yeah. But perhaps you could tell people what the heck information science is. So oh, I mean, you know, enough. people have like a, a, a an idea of they know what a library is, most people hopefully right. But they right, may right. not know exactly what library let's, science let's and information hope. science yes. is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's a that's a good point. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, information science is uh something that Often we, in the field, tell people, oh, yes, I'm in information science, and we get these blank stares, like, is that like computers? Um, and, yeah, I mean, it sort of is. Uh, information science is, um, even though we sometimes don't like to admit it, it's a social science, right? It is the study of people and the use of information technology right? How do people organize information? How do you access information and manage it? And um, in the context of a library, of course, a lot of it is, is how do you organize this stuff in this enormous building so that people who come in can find what they want relatively easily, right? So it's an organization and design problem. Online, of course, you don't, have the physical space to move through, so it's a whole different kind of organization problem, Mm -hmm. but it's still an access issue and how do you get the... How do you design an information space so that people can access what they want? And that, that of course, leads to things like database design and um, information architecture, right? Uh, User experience design. So all of these... Related areas that have to do with accessing information are, I would argue, sub-branches of of information science, which is sort of this large-scale umbrella field that deals with organizing stuff Mm -hmm. and figuring out ways to serve it up um, in terms of, you know, information resources, whatever those things are, everything from print on paper to, you know, really abstract pieces of electronic data.
1: Hmm. Okay. So if we're going forward, then, how do you get to writing a book about meta- metadata? And and I should note that the book is a part of the MIT uh, Essential Knowledge Series. So that's, that's kind of like a... a yeah, uh, a value, right? So this is something yeah. everyone should know about. So how do we get there?
0: Well, I mean, first of all, I should say I was very flattered when uh, one of the editors from the from MIT Press asked me to, um, to write this book because the Essential Knowledge Series is a uh, very brief introduction. They're fairly short books. They're brief introductions to complex topics. Right? And there are other really interesting ones, like waves and you know memes, these are really big topics um that deserve. You know a little bit more attention and better understanding, and so I was very flattered when I was approached uh to write this book because it's a it's a sign that the press understands that this is a topic that's really worth uh having a broader discussion of and and greater understanding generally um so the <sighs> The proximal cause, really, was that I taught a uh, MOOC. Uh, the University of North Carolina was involved uh, with, and still is, I should say, involved with Coursera and have launched a number of MOOCs. And I was uh, one of the early faculty at Carolina to teach a MOOC um, through Coursera, and it was on metadata. So that was how the editors at the press came across um, Came across me and this topic. I believe um, the reason I wanted to teach a MOOC, which of course are you know these massive open online courses, the reason I wanted to teach a MOOC for a broad general audience on metadata specifically was that over the years of, of teaching in a school of information science, I uh, I had been thinking about what what are are the really critical things in information science that everyone needs to know? Because of course, you know, everyone thinks their own area of interest is so important that everyone needs to know about it. Right. But, but information science, I really believe it's so important that everyone needs to know about it. Right. But you got to start somewhere, right. Introducing a topic. What are the things about information science that, everyone should know about. And it occurred to me that the place you really have to begin is metadata. It's sort of the heart of the entire field. Um, You can't talk about organizing a large set of anything without talking about metadata. And um, metadata is such an important part of the way pretty much all modern information technologies work that I just thought that had to be the first information science course. If you're going to present any kind of, you know, curriculum in the field to a broad general audience, that would have to be where you started.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so, so I, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, don't. I don't mean to interrupt you at all. I, I, Not I, at all. I find Thanks interesting so is that, you know, you talk about metadata and, you know, there's a kind of a, um, a general definition of metadata that's out there, but you take issue with that definition of, of metadata.
0: <laughs> well, um, the meaning of the word has shifted a bit, um, over the last few years. Um, and, and I blame Edward Snowden. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I mean, sorry. I, Edward, if you're listening, thank you for for uh, bringing the word metadata to the public eye. I mean, honest honest to goodness, um, Snowden really did information science a favor in that sense, but the way metadata, the word metadata has been used after kind of the Snowden news is slightly different than the way it was used before and um, sort of prior to Edward Snowden uh, the, the word metadata was, it, it was kind of a jargony term that only librarians and information scientists and computer scientists cared about, right? And what it meant was data about data, which is a definition that you hear a lot and nobody likes, right? right. But, but it gets used a lot, right? <laughs> data about data, right? So the classic example of this is, um, uh, library catalog data, right? If you remember card catalogs, or if you're using an online catalog, right, you look up a book in a library by a couple of, a couple of hooks, right? Author, title, subject, that sort of thing. And you get all of that on a card, in a card catalog, and that's metadata about the book. It's not the book itself. It's, data about the book. Right. right. And it helps you find the thing, right? So that's sort of the classic definition of descriptive metadata. Uh, and there are other types of metadata as well, and we can talk about those if you're if you want. But uh, post Snowden, if you will, the word metadata has really come to be used to describe um What's called use metadata sometimes, and another term that I actually prefer is uh, data exhaust. Right? We generate a huge amount of data just going about our daily business, right? Um, AT and T, my phone company, right, now has a record of this phone call. Right? <sighs> They'll know your phone. I'm sorry, but they will, right? They know your phone number, they know my phone number, they know what cell phone tower my cell phone is talking to, right, they'll know the duration of the call, right? That's all metadata about this call, right? I go shopping on Amazon, they have a record of, you know, what other things I looked at and what I ended up buying, right? All of that's metadata about the transaction, right? Just going about our daily lives, we generate a huge amount of data, data exhaust, and that's the kind of metadata that uh, people are talking about largely now, sort mm-hmm. of in the wake of all of the Snowden revelations. So the meaning of metadata has shifted a bit, but that's not to say that's not a perfectly legitimate use of the word. It's just when people say metadata and when the media uses the word metadata, that's generally what they use, they mean.
1: Mm-hmm. Now you you, um, you even talk about in the yeah. introduction. You say you know this is metadata's world, and and you're just living in it. So
0: yeah. the implications exactly. are huge, right? Well, I and you know, I was being a little cute, maybe, right. but um, <laughs> but I nevertheless I think it's true that um, you know the information society that we live in now runs on metadata, right? Not just, the, not just data exhaust that we generate, but the entire sort of infrastructure of the web runs on data about information objects online. And we interact with this stuff all the time, but we're kind of blind to it because the interfaces do a very nice job of hiding Metadata from us or just presenting us with certain options for what things we can interact with, right? We're, we're operating in a technology environment that's full of metadata, but we're not usually aware of it because, you know, things are designed to hide functionality from us. And I don't mean that in an ominous way, right? I don't mean that things are hidden in a, you know, scary kind of creepy way. I mean, we don't need to see the gears working uh-huh. in the same way we don't need to know you know how to how to fix a car engine to drive the thing
1: you know that's interesting because you call uh, metadata, you said metadata has become infrastructural. When I think of infrastructure, I think of you know highways and bridges yep. and, and those kinds of things. And so they kind of float into the background and yet at the same time, you know that they're there. Is there quite a right. difference between, say, what we usually think of as infrastructure and metadata? Because most people don't even recognize, I would think, that metadata is there, but with like buildings and, and bridges and and things like that you don't i mean they're there and you recognize they're there so you know you get on the freeway on ramp or off ramp but you you know they're less a part of the the larger scheme but metadata most people don't know do they
0: mm-hmm. no i think that's a good point um and that's a you're right that's a that's an important distinction to make about infrastructure right mm-hmm. um i guess I meant it's infrastructural in the sense of things are built on it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like um you know, like the electric grid and okay. you know, the plumbing under the streets and stuff like that. But you're absolutely right. The highway system, you know the highway system is a is a good example, right? It enables lots of other things like, you know, interstate shipping and, you know, family vacations and stuff like that, right? Right, It it enables certain things to happen, but you're right. It's very visible and, uh, you know, it would be hard to ignore where, yeah, metadata, I think, is infrastructural in the sense of, you know, the phone lines, Mm -hmm. right? They're there. You can see them, but most of the time you just kind of tune it out.
1: (laughs) Right, right.
0: Right. Um, And, uh, you know, a lot of our online tools, a lot of, you know, network tools, computer technologies are built around often descriptive, but not always descriptive metadata. Right. You've got um, representations of larger, more complex information objects in the mm-hmm. same way that a catalog card is a representation of a, of a book, a more complex object. Um, right? A lot of these tools that we use all the time are built around these representations of complex information objects because you don't want to necessarily have to look at the complex information object to decide if you want to use it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? You want some stripped-down surrogate, right? um and this is particularly important for data sets right you read a lot about big data right well i mean you're not going to be you're not going to be looking through a you know multi gigabyte data set to decide if it's going to be useful to you Right? Even if you work for the organization that collected it, right? You need some representation that says it contains this kind of information, right? Over this date range about, you know, these things, et cetera, right? And that's all descriptive metadata. Mm-hmm. Uh, even email, right? Even email. The first thing you see when you look at your email is um, who the email is from and what time it arrived, right? The first thing you see is not the content. right, so even email interfaces are based around metadata.
1: Sure. So one of the things that, one of the, I guess, analogies is used also related to this is the idea of the map versus the territory and, Mm. um, you know, descriptions, right, versus the actual objects. Um, I wonder if you could, like, talk a bit about that because – I, I think, you know, as a follow-up, I'll ask you a follow-up question, but there's important ideas about like maps and helping to help people find things, right? So one of the right. things for made it metadata is to help people retrieve or discover things, right?
0: Yep. Yeah, exactly. I, I like the map is not the territory quote. Um which you know, I'm taking it wildly out of context. I think uh when it was originally said, it was uh, the, uh, the author—I can never pronounce his last name—Alfred Korbuski or something like that—was talking about language, right? He was a linguist, I think. Right. But so I'm taking it slightly out of context, but I like the metaphor uh, because you know it really makes it clear that the map is a representation of this much larger, far more complex space. Right? And what a map does is it strips away everything that's not important. Right? A road map looks very different than a topological map. Mm -hmm. Even if it's looking at the same geographic area. Right? So, if you're driving, you don't necessarily care so much about topology. And if you're hiking, you need to know where the roads are, but you know, you don't need all of the same information about the roads that you get in the roadmap, right? So what a map does is it's a representation of this complex space, but it only highlights the things that you need to know given a particular context and, and use case. Mm-hmm. And metadata is very much The same way, right, you've got, um, again, let's take books because they make a nice example. Um, Descriptive metadata about books, right, author, title, subject, you know, year of publication, publisher, right, all of the things that you can say about that physical object, the book, right, height, width, right, number of pages, number of things you can say that just simply describe the thing. Then you've got a different kind of metadata, right? Administrative metadata, right? What do you need to know to manage that object, right? Well, you know, maybe it needs to be stored in a climate-controlled environment, Right, so the administrative metadata will tell you the conditions under which it should be stored. Or maybe only certain individuals have permission to get access to that thing. So you get right, those kinds of permission metadata about the object. Right, so you get two very different approaches to metadata about the same thing. Uh-huh. Right, and you just simply ignore everything else. Right. If I care about permissions, I don't necessarily care about things like author, title, subjects, and vice versa. Right. So metadata is a map because it simplifies these complex objects for particular use cases.
1: Mm-hmm. So you know, you know, as a follow-up to that, uh, use of kind of like the map analogy. Um, we know that maps can have in them, within them biases, right? Because they're made by humans and, you know, people carry with them their own biases. Is metadata subject to the same kind of biases? And we are talking about, you know, algorithms have bias inherent in them as well because they're made by humans. Is metadata subject to the same kind of bias?
0: It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And that is a really interesting uh, problem with um, developing metadata generally and and classification schemes as well. There's a a fairly interesting history of writing in library science about the biases that are built into the classification schemes that we use. Um, there's, uh, There's a really excellent book, which actually I believe is also out of the MIT press, called Sorting Things Out. Mm-hmm. And it's about the really the history of the development of classification schemes. And one of the examples um, that they use is the history of um, a classification scheme that's used in, in the medical field, um, medical subject headings, right? It's it's the it's the scheme that's used to put books on shelves in um in medical libraries, for example. Right? So Diagnoses change over time. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think the, exa- the an example that gets used a lot is um, post-traumatic stress disorder.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: right? That wasn't really recognized as a thing until the 70s, until after the Vietnam War. Right? So how would you find cases of post-traumatic stress disorder written about in the medical literature prior to 1970, right? So the terminology changes, right? But then you get more sort of problematic cases of terminology change over time, right? The names of places, right? What name do you use? Do you use the local name, the native name, or the, the you know, European name that was imposed on a place when right. right? it was colonized by some European nation, right? right. So you get these kinds of of, of biases. Um, there's an interesting uh, issue that um, the author Clay Shirky raised in a in an essay about uh, um, the, class, the the naming of geography, that mm-hmm. the number of uh, the number of terms in the Library of Congress subject headings, right, which is the classification scheme that's used um, in many, many libraries to uh, create subjects. Um, there are as many terms for different places in um, in the Balkans as there are for all of Africa. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I don't know if that's still true, but it was at the time he wrote the essay. Uh, Right. So you get these biases that are, you know, let's give people the benefit of the doubt, probably unintentional, but built into the way that the people who created the the scheme saw the world.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Right. So, you know, that's the that's the tricky part about creating any kind of metadata scheme is trying to either get away from that bias at the outset, which of course is really difficult to do, or at least providing a mechanism to change the scheme over time so that, you know, with the benefit of time, people can can change it and fix those biases, but inevitably they're going to introduce new ones. So, so, so then what's, yeah, like, what are the ramifications? Like I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no! I was going to say, yeah. The the ramifications, of course, are that um, all technologies are flawed. I yeah. mean, inevitable, <laughs> right? I mean, right. it's you know, and that's not necessarily a negative statement. I mean, you know, only human, right? You know, the things we build are good and bad in equal measure, right? It's the the, the important part. I would say is that there has to be some kind of mechanism to fix problems when they are found. Mm-hmm. Right? Metadata, like all technologies, can't be static. You can't just say, well, you know, we now have the perfect description of the world and everyone will use that until the end of time. You know, that's just silly. Uh, and pretty much all classification schemes have a mechanism for introducing changes and changing terminology and adding new terms and removing terms and whatnot over time. Um, The the problem, of course, is that that process tends to be slow, right? Because it's, you know, organizational change and changing built infrastructure is just simply time-consuming, right? Right. So the implication is that those changes take longer to effect than the world that they're trying to describe.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're talking about implications and ramifications, so is there a possibility yeah. that meta- metadata can be used uh, for discrimination or uh, just, you know, um yeah. For,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, absolutely, right? Uh, a lot of um, oh a lot of discrimination gets codified in descriptions, right? Right. I mean, you know, you describe someone as three fifths of a person, and that <laughs> becomes a legal definition, sure. right? And that's a way of categorizing, and that that in itself is a metadata a piece of metadata about individuals, right? That legally they're defined in the following way. So yeah, absolutely, right? The the trick of course, like in the law, is there has to be a mechanism to change that over time. Sure. But, you know, laws laws like anything else take a long time to change.
1: So so because laws take A long time to change. Right. Um, And we are in in a in a world or a society that's using data so much now. Big data, small data even. Right. So I'm wondering about the implications of making or whether metadata is really participatory right? Mm-hmm. So uh, people involving themselves in the creation of descriptions, I'm almost thinking of like folksonomy, kind of, but yep. With,
0: yep. With, with metadata. metadata. Well, um, uh, metadata should probably be more participatory than it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, online, of course, there are you. you probably got you know, dozens of profiles on different websites and whatnot, right? And some of those are quite easy to change, right? Your Facebook profile, that's all metadata about you, but that's easy to change because Facebook is designed around your profile and it's in their interest for you to make, to have an easy time changing things, right? Um, Your, you know, credit card company, or you know your mortgage the bank that owns your mortgage or whatever right those organizations also maintain a lot of metadata about you but it's much harder for you to get in and and change uh the data that those organizations have about you and again mm-hmm. this is you know this is the data exhaust kind of metadata rather than than other kinds um so you know there's but financial planners have for a long time given the advice that you should get your credit report at least annually and check, check your, what, your, uh, what your credit report says about you. But I would argue that you should do the same thing with pretty much every other organization <laughs> that has metadata about you as well. The problem is that there are so many. Right. Right. And it's often very difficult to get that kind of data out of, you know, the phone company and banks and whatnot. Right. Um, so. Metadata should be more participor- participatory than it is, but um, often the mechanisms to get access to that stuff is uh, not easily available, mm-hmm. um, and And, in terms of folksonomy, that's a really interesting angle as well the one of the um one of the benefits of folksonomy is that it can have the potential to overcome the kind of biases we were just talking about sure. right that you've got the this like organically growing classification scheme rather than a top down uh, scheme, so you put the two side by side often, and they're going to show very different views of the same world. Um, but again, like anything else, folksonomy is prone to the biases of the people who are participating sure. in it. Right. <laughs> That's so. great.
1: So, what are so in this society we are at now, where data and metadata obviously is such a huge part, and it's being used not just by, say, government. But by corporations right. as well. What? Oh yeah. As we as we move forward, what should we expect from metadata? Is metadata going to change? Is do you predict anything in the future related to metadata?
0: Oh yes, um, that's a very interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, This is, I think, where the definition of metadata gets really fuzzy because, you know, after a certain point, it doesn't really make sense to be talking about metadata anymore. You're just talking about data. Um, But, you know, we live in a world where data collection is getting easier and easier, right? I mean, all the tools that we use on our computers collect Data, um, You know, you go out in public and there are sensors in lots of places, cameras and, you know, environmental sensors for, you know, homes and outdoors and whatnot. Right. So. The trend is towards more and easier data collection. Mm-hmm. Right. So some of that can then be considered metadata about individuals organizations and the like, right? So um, this is going to only become more and more of an issue. Uh, ultimately, this becomes a Fourth Amendment issue, right? The question of um, of the legality of uh, collecting metadata um, about individuals, I think, ultimately is one of is a constitutional question that deals with personal privacy. And, Mm -hmm. um, there's, uh, there's something called the third party doctrine, right? Um, which exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it comes out of some court cases in the seventies, uh, in the late sixties and seventies about, um, the police trying to get access to, uh, telephone records.
2: Right.
0: Right. So the third party doctrine says that the data that you as an individual give to voluntarily give to a third party, like the phone company, um, is not subject to a warrant, right? The, the police can get access to that data from the phone company without a warrant. Unlike tapping your phone, where they need a warrant for that, right? right. But that third-party data, data that you've provided to a third party, um, is open to uh, to the police or or whatever the authorities are in this context. Um, that there's a lot of discussion around whether that whether the third-party doctrine is still relevant. Right back in you know the early seventies, pretty much the only third party of any interest was the phone company. Now every organization that you have an account with has that same kind of metadata about you. Mm-hmm. So right there's a huge explosion in um, that kind of third party data. Uh, so suddenly it's become much. A much greater sort of legal discussion whether the third-party doctrine still applies, and there's you know positions on both sides. But ultimately, I think that's probably going to come before the Supreme Court in some some form or another well, sure. uh, as a uh, as a question of of privacy.
1: Sure. Right. So. Part of what we do here on New Books and technologies, we always want to allow for what's called an elevator pitch. And really, the elevator pitch is this. Say, for some unfortunate reason, uh, a person just tuned into the podcast right at this moment. And you have 60 seconds to tell them what your book, Metadata, is all about. What is it that you would say?
0: Oh, man, that's a... (laughs) That's difficult. Elevator pitches are always difficult. Um, Metadata is the most important piece of technology that you didn't know you were ignoring. Mm. Metadata is data about yourself and everything in the world that allows you to find anything later, right? Data. So I've now gone over my 30 seconds, right? Oh, now. no, um, you 60. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, 60 seconds. Uh, yeah. Metadata is description of things, including people. And metadata is any kind of information about things, including people. And that could be stuff that you use, and it could be stuff that organizations like companies use. It could be stuff that governments use, mm-hmm. right? So there's a real privacy and personal side to this. And you just can't ignore it because it's hidden by our technology. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't exactly the catchiest elevator talk, but it's the best <laughs> I could do on the spur of the moment.
1: <laughs> well, it sounded good. So what's next for you?
0: Um well I'm um I'm still writing a lot about metadata, mostly shorter pieces. Um you know looking at different aspects of of the the question. I just wrote a piece on, on some privacy issues. I'm working on a piece around um something called schema dot org, which is um metadata for the semantic web which is someplace we didn't even go in this discussion. Um so you know there are lots of angles on this and I think I'm I'm still very much committed to kind of <sighs> talking uh, publicly about the different angles of metadata because I think you know that it's it gets a lot of press coverage um, in terms of you know privacy issues um, Snowden style news coverage um, but there's a lot more to the topic of metadata and its crossover with, with all of the kinds of technologies we use and um, and the legal and privacy implications that that I think need exploring and need dis- discussing publicly. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, now that I've written a book, I'm focusing on shorter
1: pieces for a while. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. So where can people find more from you? Your website is... Uh Jeffrey
0: dot mm-hmm. Okay. Um easy enough. I uh I tried to register Pomerance.com, but somebody got to it before me.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully it wasn't Donald Trump. So yeah. <laughs> you should be okay. Let's hope not. So the book is Metadata. It's part of the MIT Press Essential Knowledge Series. And we've had Jeffrey Pomerantz on with a great discussion. So thank you for coming on New Books and Technology.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: No problem. Uh, this has been New Books and Technology. Have a great week.